Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Welcome to How to Citizen with Baratunde, a podcast that reimagines citizen as a verb, not a legal status. This season is all about tech and how it can bring us together instead of tearing us apart. We're bringing you the people using technology for so much more than revenue and user growth. They're using it to help us citizen. So first, I'm going to open the circle. Sky above me, earth below me, love around me, divine within me. Mother, father, kind ancestors, thank you for your wisdom which flows into us through us. The reading that we undertake today is for 
the joy and liberation of the sitter and the greater joy and liberation of all. Thank you. You had me at opening the circle. <laughs> that other voice you're hearing is Xiao Wei Wang. Right now, they're reading my tarot cards, an old tech of sorts. The cards can provide insights into our past, present, and future. And this reading hits pretty close to home. My mother was a very spiritually curious person. I was baptized Catholic, but attended an Episcopal church for most of my childhood. As my mom explored her own spirituality, she just dragged me along with her, to Buddhist temples to chant, to our living room, where she consulted the Taoist I Ching Book of Changes, to arenas for Native American powwows, and to her computer, where she would generate and read my astrological chart with her own software. Because of all this history, I've always been open-minded about the different paths we can take to find meaning and insights. So tarot, that was an easy yes. Now, Xiaowei's pulling three cards to help frame my current state of mind. So the middle card is the Two of Pentacles. And so as you see it, it's this iconography of someone who is juggling. And in the back, there's actually a lot of water. So water meaning emotions. It's someone who, you know, you kind of see them and they're like a uh, court jester almost. Um, so it's a sense of, I'm juggling a lot, particularly in the material realm. So just like money, job, things like that. And in the background is also this tidal wave of emotion. Like things look fun and playful on the outside because I'm juggling for an audience, but in the back, there's a lot of emotion that's being kind of dammed up. I take that court jester comment as a compliment. Now, if you saw my Google Calendar, you'd know how real the juggler image is to my life right now. I'm managing many commitments, including this podcast. I often consider the fact that I deal with difficult topics like race and democracy. I refer to it as handling hazardous material. It takes an emotional toll. And as practiced as I am at performing have-it-all-togetherness, I'm often holding back a lot of emotions associated with my chosen work, that emotional water in the background of the card. And on the other side, we have the Knight of Swords and we have the Three of Cups. But the Knight of Swords is someone who is just like, has this energy that's just like, oh, there's a problem, let's do something about it. How can we fix this immediately? There's this one side of me that's just in the material realm as we're going through things. We have to fix it. We have to get things done. We have to move on to the next thing. Moving at like a million miles an hour. This is so me. I love to fix things. I, I literally fixed computers to help pay for college. And I'm always jumping to solutions in the face of almost any problem, even when the people around me don't want me to come up with a solution. And then on the other side is the very real side of when we're doing community work, when we're dealing with the emotions of other people. That's a kind of slowness that is very much, you know, counter to the Knight of Swords who's like about to rush in. So at least from this tarot reading, 
And I'm curious if any of this resonates with you, this notion of juggling between the two and the sense of like, I just want to like fix it and do something about it. And then the other part that's like, no, slow down, you know, talk it through, talk about feelings. This is dead on. This is, you, you got me. It's exactly where I am, really. And then a lot of who I am and how I present and what's going on under the surface, but the support I'm finding. Shaway, that's this podcast. You know, <laughs> like you also just read for How to Citizen. So thank you. That is a, one of the most potent uh, ways of meeting a person that I've ever experienced. Uh, you have a bit of a gift. So thanks for sharing it. I know, I know, a tarot reading seems random, but tarot isn't just woo-woo fortune-telling. I love reading tarot for others, and I always view it as helping others hold space or like holding up a mirror, if you will. And that's exactly what we're doing today. My guest, Xiao Wei Wang, is going to help us hold a mirror, not just to me, but to the entire tech industry. Xiao Wei is not only a tarot reader, but the lead steward of Logic School, an online school that empowers tech workers to transform the industry from within. They also wrote the book called Blockchain Chicken Farm about tech in rural China. Xiao Wei spent a lot of time traveling in China and working in the tech industry themselves. Through these experiences, they learned a lot about how to transform the tech industry. And it may surprise you, but the solution is actually pretty low tech. Take time, take patience, move at the speed of trust and care. The act of talking to people and just being with them, that's the work, right? That's the transformation. When we come back from the break, how a rural chicken farmer in China became a real-life Portlandia sketch. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, 
Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're gonna love listening to it and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hello, Xiaowei. How are you? Good. It's nice to meet you, Baratunde. Lovely to meet you. First off, I want to talk to you about your current work, Logic School. Logic School is an organizing school for tech workers. Above all, it's really a community of 20 folks who uh, get together every week and laugh and cry and learn from activists, artists, people who are trying to think about changing tech and the tech industry. Um, As part of it, there were a series of final projects that came out from the cohort, and it's been just such a joy and honor to serve as the lead steward 
of that school and see the work that people are doing. You say the logic school is for tech workers. What qualifies someone as a tech worker? We made the definition really broad on purpose just to, you know, foster these incredible new connections. We had the gig worker to someone who used to work actually in government policy on tech um, and was a bit disillusioned. I don't know what that says about regulation. (laughs) Um, And then we also had, you know, engineers, designers from some of the big companies. So it it was really cool to see that conversation unfold. When, when I think of a school for tech workers, the first thing that pops to mind is a place like General Assembly or at a place that kind of creates the classic image of a tech worker. Like they pump out coders and engineers and developers or some version of those words. And the image is typing long into the night. Maybe that scene from the social network where everybody's like pounding beers and slamming keys. What is your definition of tech worker and of tech work? I love that. That is like a very good marketing <laughs> scheme on behalf of the tech industry where they're like, yeah, there's, you know, fridge full of kombucha and oh, you're yeah. just like hacking. Late. It's mostly snacks, right? <laughs> exactly. I think for us at Logic School, you know, a tech worker can be someone who's doing community technology. So instead of working for a big company, they're thinking about like, what's the infrastructure? What's the projects that respond to the needs of their local neighborhood? It can be someone who's beyond the like, I'm so rational, (laughs) I'm so logical image that we have. Um, And really someone who has a lot of care and thoughtfulness. You know, I think all of these ideas of what a tech worker looks like that's highly gendered, highly racialized, and, you know, has has a lot to do with capitalism. How does the school itself work? We met every week over Zoom, had folks from Pittsburgh all the way to Texas and the Bay Area, and amazing guest lecturers come in, like the Free Radicals, Stop LAPD Spying Coalition, to Khadija Abdurrahman, who's working on child welfare in the New York City area. And yeah, just lots of dialogue and activities and feedback on each other's projects. I think one of the most important questions for us was, you know, who are your people? Who's your community? Who do you see yourself building tech for, right? This sounds like the opposite of everything we've been taught about the tech sector as a workplace. I think a lot of us are like, it's very logical, it's inhumane, it's non-empathetic, it's profit-seeking, it's overworked, and questions about empathy and community and power, they're just not associated with tech generally. What was the impetus to create the logic school in this way? It was exactly what you just said. I mean, there's very few spaces to talk about power to talk about, you know, how do we be empathetic? I mean, there's places like after work extracurriculars where you can learn how to be a better engineer, right? Like, how do I do better JavaScript on the job? Like all these things. Um, But Logic School really responds to that. There's no space where it's like, I'm a tech worker and I'm having kind of a crisis about what my company's doing. How do I bring in empathy into the workplace. 
It was actually interesting because some people definitely tried to bring in empathy from what they learned at logic school into the workplace, and it got shut down. So I think it also says a lot about just the way the tech industry is structured and what they want to maintain. When you create this program, you invite these people in. You're meeting every week. What do you want them to leave with? Honestly, I think that as part of rethinking what school is, I think everyone came in with a different goal because that's also like very different than a job, right? A job is like we create this space for you to do one thing. We have these expectations of how you do on your job, and you will be evaluated <laughs> by every quarter. We had one person who worked at Twitter during the length of the president, who I will not say his name, and you know had a lot of just personal all these like traumas, right? And spent logic school processing through that, and actually, you know, talking about trust and safety more broadly. We had another person who um, is actually building this incredible augmented reality app now in Pittsburgh and his whole app for his community to like celebrate Black life in Pittsburgh and to really counter these narratives of disappearance and gentrification. So it's a whole range of what people wanted out of it, but just trying to be like, hey, this this could be a different tech. That's why we're here. You know, I've been frustrated myself at the lack of imagination. And in, in some ways, I've said we've taken some of the most powerful machines that we've ever built and some of the smartest people that we've ever had and applied it to like shipping ads. It's a very underwhelming use of a superpower. I, I want to know more about you. You've been a tech worker. Yeah. So there was this moment where I was working in tech and it was 2016 and Trump got elected And like all tech companies in the Bay Area at the time, you know, the CEO gives kind of a little speech about like, this terrible thing has happened. And now we have to realize that what we do every day at our company is changing the world and improving the world. And we still have to do it. And it's actually fighting against like Trump and all of what this like right wingism is doing. I'm getting all fired up and tingly inside. Yeah, okay, Braveheart speech, right? (laughs) Yeah. At the same time, I was sitting there, and I was like, but our company is funded by, like, Jared Kushner's brother. All these threads of funding, you know, it's every quarter, the venture capitalists who fund the company, they come in, and there's always this kind of standoff, right? Like, They're like, we need to see returns. This is how you should change your business plan. This is how you should run your company. And then it trickles down to us, like the engineers working day to day. It's like, oh, that thing you were working on, actually, it doesn't matter anymore. We're like pivoting to this new thing. And so just realizing, one, this kind of culture of not care, but really bottom line returns. And then two, the idea that we're doing something to better the world, to change the world. And yet, you know, our work was really making making other people rich, essentially, um, and not helping communities directly. That, I think, gave me a sense of disillusionment. I'd love to um, 
know a bit more about your path. And I know you've written a book whose title just makes me crack up every time I hear it. Blockchain Chicken Farm. What experiences did you have in tech that led you to rural China to write a book called Blockchain Chicken Farm? Um, My friend Jason came up with that title and I was just like, so snappy. You know, there was also a lot of anti-China rhetoric at the time. There still continues to be, but just this idea that there's this foreign power battle of the civilization stuff going on. Um, And I really wanted to, you know, question that idea that it's like, you know, U.S. versus China and China is this foreign place that's so different and scary. And I think the approach I really wanted to take was to humanize um, and to tell these stories on the ground of folks in rural China. It made sense to me also because we really ignore the rural. Um, I mean, not just in the U.S., but also in China, where it's just like we paint these pictures in broad strokes of like what country side people are like. And then it's actually way more complicated. And it connects to like a global story, too, about, you know, agriculture, economics, all these like big picture systems. Complicate China for me with the sights, the smells, the sounds, the tastes that you experience that we miss out on when we overgeneralize. I mean, I miss it so much because I haven't been able to travel. (laughs) So I'm sorry if I get like nostalgic (laughs) or emotional. I will open a circle for you to have these feelings. Oh. You know, my time in rural China. There were villages that I would go to um, several times, like twice a year, and it felt like a sense of returning home. Whenever you get to a village, it's this really beautiful thing where the first thing they ask is, have you eaten yet? And there's just such a priority and value placed on food, especially, you know, for rural places where a lot of the times, you know, there might be famine, there might not be enough to eat. And so people present you with this like bowl of rice and sometimes there's little dots on it in the rice because of insects that have eaten the rice. And it just is this feeling of like, oh, like you're literally giving me food from your own grain store and feeling really touched by that. What misunderstandings do you think people like us have, us in the U.S. and the West in general, what misunderstandings do we have about tech in China? I would say the biggest misunderstanding that I've seen, I mean, especially in relation to this anti-China stuff, is that like China is there stealing everything, right? Mm. Um, And that there is absolutely zero freedom that, you know, somehow the people of China are complicit in what its government does. You know, and when you're in rural China, which is still like 40% of the population, folks are just living day to day trying to get by, making money, harvesting their crops, thinking about their kids and their next generation and how they're going to pay the school bills. Sounds very relatable. <laughs> it's very they, You know what they sound like, shall we? They sound like people. Exactly. 
<laughs> We've gotten to a point where it's hard to see beyond certain narratives. We, we got to get to the title and how your book landed on blockchain chicken farm. This, the book is full of stories of people from the rural parts of China. What's the story that led to this title? Chinese economic development, it happened really fast in like mm. the span of like 20, 30 years. So when you have growth that fast, things are going to happen. <laughs> the blockchain chickens really came out of this one small farmer in Guizhou province where he was raising free range chickens and no one believed him that they were free range. There's such distrust. So he said, I've got these free range chickens. They're like, you're lying. Prove it. So he was like, some county official came in and was like, well, you should put these chickens on the blockchain. Pause right there. <laughs> That's just not a normal government response. You know, <laughs> like, I, just, I can't imagine like my DMV manager or some FDA official here in the U.S. being like, you should put this livestock on the blockchain. What does that even mean? <laughs> so there's all these small tech companies in China who I think just want government contracts. And they, one company offered this product that was like, you know, the blockchain is this ledger. Um, so record keeping system that can't change or falsify. Right. So you could say like the chicken is 100 percent free range. And then it got sent to this slaughterhouse and it was slaughtered on XYZ date, and now it's at your doorstep. Um, and these chickens were heavily tracked. It was really wild. Like <laughs> It's like a giant chicken surveillance network. Yes, there was actually a dashboard where you could watch the chickens uh, through cameras. <laughs> this is weirdly dystopic and hilarious and progressive all at the same time. I know, right? It's like, oh, you could definitely see that Portlandia sketch where they're like, this yeah. chicken has been massaged, and here's a picture of it. Here is the chicken you'll be oh, enjoying tonight. You have this information. This is fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, his name was Colin. Happy little yeah. guy. So, farmer needs people to believe that his chickens are free range. County officials like, I know. We prove it with the blockchain. Put these chickens on the blockchain. Did it work? Did it help the farmer when he had this distributed certification through the blockchain ledger? So I will say that it really did work. He sold all of his chickens. Um, the chickens each had this gnarly uh, chicken Fitbit. It was like this bracelet. <laughs> you got to stop. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> So they had a chick bit. Okay. Yeah, and the tracker had a QR code. But when they slaughtered the chicken, they actually keep the tracker on. So you can buy the chicken online. And so when you get the chicken, it's like this dead chicken, but it still has this wrist thing attached to it. It's really a sight. So the chicken's got a little chicken apple watch, you know, which is like tracking its health. Does the person who buys the chicken, do they read that little tracker themselves to kind of inspect it? Yeah, they can uh, scan the QR code and then read okay. about it. So there's like a picture of the chicken, how much the chicken weighed at birth, um, how many steps it took. Because um, <laughs> there's like a pedometer. You're like, oh, the chicken got its 10,000 steps in. Let's eat. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what you've just done is you've brought a Portlandia sketch to life. 
The truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> so this sounds like a victory. Farmer gets people to believe his chickens are free range because he's got the blockchain proof, sells out of his chickens, and now is like the biggest farmer in rural China. What's How does this story proceed? Um, sadly, I think that this is another one of those situations when we say like we're building tech to quote unquote improve people's lives. It's like, mm-hmm. well, who? For who? You know, who do you count as your people and your community? And this farmer was kind of abandoned by that tech company. And for the next season, he's he's good at raising chickens and thinking about chicken life. Um, he's not a programmer. And when I asked him, you know, how do you feel about blockchain? He was like, what's blockchain? Um, which, to be honest, is a question that I think most of us would ask, right? Like, what's blockchain? But there was really a sense that he became like dependent on this very opaque product that he had no control over. And when they pivot and when it becomes about profit in the bottom line, they had to move on to other projects. How else have you seen tech companies exploiting folks in rural China? I would say with the e-commerce villages, um, that was really fascinating because you know, the tech companies, they say, hey, we're providing livelihoods to the countryside. You know, now you can work from anywhere and manufacture Halloween costumes or, you know, wooden block toys for Taobao. It sounds great. I mean, it (laughs) it really does. You can stay, you can work from home. Where have I heard this before? Continue. (laughs) I know, work from home is going to be like the mantra of our century. (laughs) And yeah, so these folks, they would be, you know, basically making Halloween costumes out of their home workshops. Um, I saw old people, like their grandparents and, uh, you know, great aunts, like helping with the manufacturing and the packaging and the shipping. So it was really a family business or, you know, some people might call it like (laughs) family self-exploitation. There was definitely this like rosy scene that the official government line was trying to paint. Like this is poverty alleviation. It's giving people Mm -hmm. like digital literacy skills. But then when I actually started talking to some folks, they're like, this is like a scam and we know it. And we're just trying to like get it while it's good and make money while we can. So they were saying that The sellers, if you're selling on the platform, you have to pay fees, you have to buy ads. It's like a race to the bottom to try and cut costs. And you're just making cheaper and cheaper items um, that are really flimsy, that are like you use it once and it falls apart. But they're like, this is just all part of the game. And in a few years, this might not work, but we're going to get rich while we can. And so it was interesting, you know, to to see just like, again, this reliance on a platform and how much control the e-commerce platforms had over sellers. We have the same story in the United States and in other Western countries. Um, we even talked about it on this podcast about Amazon, uh, and mostly in the U.S. and how this race to the bottom. So the idea that the same story is playing out in, on the literal other side of the world in communities we don't identify with because we don't take time to know about them is really upsetting. 
um, and not that surprising when I pause to think about it. I will say I also saw other small villages that were enacting totally ambitious projects. For example, I visited this um, rice farming village, Rice Harmony. That's our, that sounds great, Rice Harmony. I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely their vibe is like, you know, very community oriented. And they they were really trying to push against top-down initiatives um, and reliance on like whether it's one technology or like one government policy. Yeah, so this other way is um, definitely a little bit more difficult. <laughs> After the break, we go to Rice Harmony Village. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. (laughs) And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. 
Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. So, Xiaowei, tell me about the Rice Harmony Village project and what about it is so different. So rice farming is, in this region, it's terraced. And so each farmer has their own little paddy and the water flows from the top to the bottom. And it's this kind of natural irrigation. And so for a long time, they were using high scale up, high yield tactics like pesticides and fertilizers and really, quote unquote, modern agriculture. Mm. And they were noticing that, you know, there was a decline in their soil, decline in just like their crops and like the nutrition content of the rice. And so they started to do this lottery system where you wouldn't have contiguous patties. So you might have one patty at the top, you might have one patty at the bottom, have a different neighbor every five years. And so as a result of this, you are really materially interconnected to others. Like, you know, if you spray pesticides or dam off water, you're going to affect your neighbors, but you also might be affecting like yourself. And it's through this system that they decided to do organic regenerative farming, which does not really quote unquote scale up, right? It's all about like thinking about scale across time and different generations and like the soil, you know, 20 years from now, rather than like, how are we going to make as much rice as possible this next year? Yeah. Why were they using the pesticides in the first place? It was really about yield, right? Like it's just this form of um, having granular control over your yield. If you're like, I see what you did there. Granular control. (laughs) I'm glad you appreciated that. (laughs) The lottery system sounds like a super creative way to to engineer um, community and interconnectedness, 
right? Because if I'm just looking out for myself, I don't really care about the runoff. But if my lots are no longer contiguous, then my interest is in the runoff too. And so I'm forced to care about my neighbor. I'm basically, I am my neighbor. That's kind of mind blowing. (laughs) How did they come up with that system? It was a really beautiful system. And when they were telling me about it, I didn't expect it to go there. But they were saying that for a long time, it really came out of their practices of helping each other harvest every year. It was always like, oh, my family's harvesting the rice in my patty, but also like the neighbors are helping too. And we're just all sharing everything. We're sharing, you know, equipment, we're sharing uh, labor, we're like helping each other out. And so the patty lottery system really stemmed out of that, um, this kind of longer, longer community practice. And, you know, they made it very clear to me that it was not easy. They like showed me photos and they'd be like, yeah, that guy, he always like, you know, we have meetings to talk about this system and the lottery and who's doing what. And that guy's always like stirring up trouble. And that lady, she's never satisfied. And our community meetings, they take like hours and no one likes going to them, but we all show up. You know, it's scale interpreted differently. Small scale on purpose. A lot of us have just accepted what's delivered to us by the massive commercial interest. But in your Rice Harmony Village example, they developed their own tools, right? their own lower tech, which suited their needs. Honestly, we need to question the tools that we are given and really push our imaginations. We've used like the most incredible tech to now sell ads. And I think just like thinking about what we're doing with these tools, like through the span of time and not just the immediate one year, five year return, that's that's really key. How did your experiences in rural China shape your views of tech and of tech work and tech organizing? You seem to believe something a little differently on the other side of that experience than you did before. In seeing places like Rice Harmony, where the conversations are difficult, they take hours, there's a kind of patience. The villagers would be telling me like, oh yeah, sometimes we get into fights and like, you know, we let it simmer and we pick it up the next day. I think it really countered my, you know, approach to organizing as well, where Mm. it's like, you know, let things be unresolved, you know, don't push the conversation, take time, take patience, move at the speed of trust and care, rather than I need to like get these 10 signups <laughs> for the union, right? And that also, you know, seeing right places like Rice Harmony, it's like the act of talking to people and just being with them that's the work, right? That's the transformation. Like whatever happens, whether you win or lose the campaign, it's really about just creating that kind of relation that is that is powerful. Mm. Yeah, instead of move fast and break things, you know, move slower and build things. Exactly. Like trust, you know, like relationships. The STEM brain of science, tech, engineering, math, I think there's a, a little bit of a stereotype to it in the same way that we have some stereotypes about rural China. But there is a pressure out of so many of these products that most of us use for efficiency. It's like, how do I avoid discomfort? We pay for it in some way or the other. It may feel faster and more efficient, but there's a cost on the back end. 
like you said, move at the speed of trust. Uh, there's something else to be gained by that. That's so powerful. Thank you. I love your framing of it as this avoidance of discomfort. It speaks to really power too, right? Like who yeah. gets to decide, well, this is the new experience that everyone in the world should have. So how does your work at the logic school address some of the types of exploitation you were seeing firsthand in rural China? Yeah, so in in a few ways, I feel like there's one thread of logic school, which is about what are the ways that we can change industry from the inside. So, you know, there are folks um, at Amazon, like Amazonians for climate justice, um, people who are organizing and trying to really think about these things, right? And it's like, no, we're going to build tech that is different, Um So it's more of the like, you know, rice harmony stance where it's like, well, you know, forget about everything else. We're just going to go our own way. And I think both approaches are urgent and much needed right now. Right. Um, And logic school, it's really about like cultivating, nurturing and like thinking through these different threads and also supporting folks who are doing this on the ground right now. I'm I'm really glad that your answer to like, should we reform from within or build something new out is both. So so let's push your imagination. You've done your first cohort with Logic School. You've had your inaugural class. What comes next? What's your vision for where this, this school goes and this experience goes? And I feel like out of the first cohort of Logic School, seeing... People organize, do these incredible projects. It's like, how can we continue to support the first cohort, but also future cohorts on like doing these projects that they do want to carry out in the world, right? So that they're not like, can I quit my tech job and pursue what I'm actually passionate about and is meaningful and impactful? I think there needs to be a huge amount of culture shift. And I think that is happening. Whenever I talk to new grads from, you know, computer science programs, I'm like, wow, you are like so aware. You are so thoughtful. You like know more about radical history than like some professors I've spoken to. Like, yes, I love that. Um, So I guess in that sense, I feel optimistic about the culture shifts that are coming and then regulation of what, what we currently are facing in the U.S. at least. Is there a place in those two, or maybe something you haven't identified, the regulation, the culture shift? What is logic school's role in getting us there? I feel like it's definitely in the culture shift area, but I also think creating these open, expansive spaces for folks to dream about, you know, a better tech industry or better tech. Um, That is, to me, really urgent because we don't have a lot of spaces to do that, right? Even if you do like a startup incubator, where like, we're going to build better tech. It's like, what's the bottom line? What's your pitch deck? Um, And Logic School is really about creating that expansive space and to dream, to rest. We really care about rest at Logic School, um, to have that fire going for reflection. Fire for reflection. It's the anti-hustle propaganda 
and in a great spirit of a new type of energy that I would also love to see. We call the show How to Citizen. Citizen is a verb to us, not a legal status to be weaponized against certain communities. And when you interpret this word as a verb, what does it mean to you to citizen? It's about showing up. It's about really showing up. I think it also requires a degree of listening, um, you know, and compassion, right? And so I think of this like listen to understand the ways that you're sharing space, the ways that your decisions affect and inform and change conditions for others. So I think we use the word show up like really casually, but to do it and to really like, you know, citizen, that's difficult, right? I want you to picture a motivated, fired up person ready to show up. And they're like, ooh, blockchain, chickens, rice, living in harmony, tech workers with empathy. Put me in, coach. What can I do? You know, there's this great phrase from uh, Buddhism. Clean the temple so that you can actually sit. Get yourself and your home and your family and where you're coming from right before you're like, I'm going to go to the temple and like talk to other people now. So I feel like that's been my work for a few years is just like cleaning the temple. And then from there, you know, if there's an organization that you want to be organizing with, email them, show up and listen and be patient and be willing to have the, you know, difficult conversations. Very lastly, like have empathy. I have noticed that Sometimes even in communities where we're like trying to organize or do different initiatives and we feel like we're bettering the world in some way, it can be really easy to be like, we just want to win. <laughs> like we can't trample over people's feelings. Having a live joy, you know, take care of each other movement. Like I think at the heart of it, that's the work. I'm so happy to hear that. The industry, kind of capital T, capital I, the tech industry, has done a really good job of selling a narrative of what tech is and who a tech worker is and what he most likely looks like. And then the media amplifies that. So the public mind around what tech even is, it's very narrowly oriented. And so if we can you know, contribute to shifting that mindset, expanding that imagination, uh, we'll be better off. And we're certainly better off for having spoken with you. So thank you so much, uh, Xiao Wei Wang, tarot reader, philosopher, professor, activist, organizer, blockchain chicken farmer advocate, keeping it real. Appreciate you. Thank you, Baratunde. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. By now, we're all well aware that technology can and often is used to take advantage of people. But it can also help us to connect. To empathize with one another. To strengthen the bonds of trust and transparency that we so deeply crave in our communities. And to accomplish that, bigger ain't always better. I would argue, in fact, that it's, it's rarely better. Xiao Wei is redefining what it means to be a tech worker. That the world of tech doesn't have to be all hoodies and energy drinks. That it can be like a tarot reading. A place that opens up a space to listen, 
to others and to hold up a mirror to ourselves. Because the truth is, the world is just one big Rice Harmony village. And what we do in our communities trickles down to impact others. Whether those impacts are good or bad, that's up to us and the way we choose to use tech. It can isolate or it can unite. When the ever-evolving world of technology tells us to move fast and break things, we've got to be the ones to slow down and listen, to show up, to step back and open the circle. Next time for our final episode, we're asking an important question. How do we bridge the digital divide so that everyone can citizen? I'll be honest with you, I was so overwhelmed because I did not have that level of connection to technology and just the phone ringing and trying to text and people calling and pictures popping up. And I felt some anxiety and I didn't expect that. And now is time for some actions. No tarot reading required. A lot of what you're about to hear comes directly from Xiao Wei. So extra appreciation to them for giving me things to give you to do. The first is an internal reflection. Think of what consent and care means to you. And think of what consentful and careful tech would look like, would function like, would feel like. What relationships would be strengthened by that kind of tech? What might be shattered? Next, let's get informed about tech critiques and some better ways of doing things with tech. Read about platform co-ops. We have a link to a great explainer in the show notes. These are digital platforms. Uh, Think of like a ride share or a delivery service, but they're collectively owned and governed by the people who depend on and participate in them, not just a handful of investors looking to turn their 1 million into 10 million. Also follow the work of the Gig Workers Collective. This is a group that shines a light on and advocates for people who work at the other end of our smartphone taps and swipes. It really humanizes their experience. And most of us don't work in that part of the economy, but we all engage with it. So let's have more information about the impact of that engagement. Speaking of engagement, here's some ways to step it up a notch and publicly participate. Support community internet and technology groups. These are organizations like the Detroit Community Technology Project, NYC Mesh, Oakland Mesh. They provide local internet access, tech training and tools by, of, and for the people. It's like democratic technology. And check out this one, uh, the Tech Worker Handbook by Ifoma Ozoma. This is a collection of resources to better prepare and support tech workers who are considering whether they should speak out on issues that are in the public interest. Like, should they whistleblow? You know what I'm saying? So recommend this to a tech worker near you, but please do them and our general freedom a favor. Don't send it to their work email. Right, let's be smart about that. Now look, we've got links to all this and more at howtocitizen.com and in the episode show notes. As usual, check us out on Instagram at howtocitizen.com. 
tag us in your posts about this episode. How did Xiao Wei make you feel? Do you want them to do your tarot? Hashtag how to citizen and let us know how this one hit you. Stay tuned and keep citizening. How to Citizen with Baratunde Day is a production of iHeartRadio Podcasts and Dustlight Productions. Our executive producers are me, Baratunde Thurston, Elizabeth Stewart, and Misha Youssef. Our senior producer is Tamika Adams. Our producer is Allie Kiltz, and our assistant producer is Sam Paulson. Stephanie Cohn is our editor, Valentino Rivera is our senior engineer, and Matthew Lai is our apprentice. Original music by Andrew Epen, with additional original music for season two from Andrew Clausen. Additional production help from Arwen Nix. This episode was produced and sound designed by Matthew Lai. Special thanks to Joelle Smith from iHeartRadio and Rachel Garcia at Dustlight Productions. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.